Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, welcome to Kingswood, back at you again with more story time. So we're just going to get straight into it this time, continuing with Glimmer Vale, written by yours truly, and narrated by the awesome Nathan Dabney. When last we left our two heroes in chapters one and two, Julian and Radric had gone through the ravine entering into Glimmer Vale and got accosted by bandits in the woods above the falls and had themselves a little fight. And now we'll see what's going to happen next. Hope you enjoyed the last one. You better enjoy this one too. Talk to you on the flip side. Chapter three, Glimmer Vale. Julian limped back to the ambush site and found Radric tying up the bandit Julian had kicked at the beginning of the fray. He didn't have a scratch on him, naturally. As Julian approached, Radric looked up and, upon seeing his condition, winced. You look like hell. Feel like it too, Julian said. Where did you go? This guy hightailed it. You looked like you had things under control, so I went after him. Don't do that again. I really could have used the help. Radric gave him a long, searching look then nodded. Sorry. Hobbling over to his horse, Julian fished through the saddlebags until he found his medical supplies. Consisting of a few rags for bandages and a needle and thread, it wasn't much, but it would be sufficient for this job. My leg and thumb are going to need stitches before we move out, he said. Radric did the stitching once he had the prisoner secured. Getting stitched up was never a fun experience, but having to lie there without pants in the chilly air just made it worse. The cold numbed Julian's leg a bit, so the stitching itself wasn't as unpleasant. But taken as a whole, Julian would have preferred to do the deed in warmth. Fortunately, Radric was a good hand with a needle, so before too long he finished stitching and wrapped both wounds in snug bandages. Julian got dressed again and took a few ginger steps. The stitches seemed to hold well, but he would have to take it easy for a few days. They took a few minutes to search the dead brigands. Julian was not surprised to find they had little money on them. But their armor and weapons were of good quality, and would probably fetch a decent price. So he and Radric strapped those items down on their horses as well as they could. Their saddlebags were already full, so it was a very awkward packing job, but it would do for a short journey. What are we going to do with him? Julian said, nodding toward their prisoner. I'd say time to a tree and leave him for scavengers. The brigand's eyes widened and he shook his head vigorously, but before he could speak, Radric beat him to it. No, there's a constable in Lyddleton. He'll see that justice is done properly. Julian frowned. That's still a long way. About four, maybe five hours. We better get moving then if we want to get there before dark. Radric nodded. While Julian slowly pulled himself onto his saddle, his friend fished a length of rope out of his bag and tied one end into a knot around the brigand's neck. The other end he brought back to Julian. Do you want the duty? Julian grinned and accepted the rope. Removing his baldric, he looped the rope around his saddle horn, making several turns to ensure that it was secure. Then he draped the baldric over the saddle horn again and looked back at the brigand. I hope you are a good runner, friend. 
It was perhaps heartless, but Julian got a lot of satisfaction from the brigand's terrified expression. They set off at a slow trot, just barely above a jog, but after an hour or so, Julian heard a thud behind them, and the brigand began screaming. Reining into a walk, he turned around to find the fellow dragging on the ground behind his horse. Julian rolled his eyes and pulled his horse to a full stop. I figured he'd be in better shape, he quipped to Radric, who shrugged. In a louder voice, Julian called back to the brigand, On your feet! You're slowing us down! The brigand slowly pushed himself upright. It took a while, but Julian figured it was probably difficult with his hands tied behind his back. Beyond that, he was a mess. The right side of his face was scraped and bruised. His clothing was torn in several locations. He had a big red welt around his neck where the rope dug in, and he was panting heavily. Served him right. As soon as the brigand was up again, Julian spurred the horse forward, at a walk this time. It was slower, but he had no real desire to torture the brigand to death. Killing a man in a stand-up fight was one thing. Dragging him behind a horse? That crossed the line into senseless cruelty. The road followed the south bank of the river as it made its way east toward the lake. Though the terrain of their right was mostly rolling hills, the road was, for the most part, level and made for an easy passage. So despite only moving at a quick walk, they made good time. As they traversed the valley, Julian was again struck by the picturesque nature of the place. Everywhere he looked was another amazing view. When Radric told him of his plan to take this route, he had at first scoffed. Lyttelton was a flyspeck of a town in the middle of nowhere. Why would anyone want to visit, let alone live there? Now that he had seen the valley, though, he was beginning to understand how it could be appealing. If only it was warmer. As advertised from their high vantage point on the flank of the mountain, this part of the valley was mostly rolling grasslands, punctuated every so often with the occasional cops, some large enough to almost be rightly called forests themselves. There was no habitation as yet, but plumes of smoke in the distance announced fires from chimneys or forges. After a couple hours, they drew near to the spit of mountains they had seen from above. The road became more wandering, to avoid the worst of the hills, as the mountains drew nearer. Until finally, there was nothing for it but to go nearly straight up one side of a hill and down the next. The mountains came almost to the river. The main peaks could not have been more than a mile to the south. But from this vantage point, Julian could see that the peaks, which thrust northward from the main range to the south, bent to the east for a while before turning south again. The locals call this area the Hook, Radric said, seeing Julian eyeing the mountains as they rode. Supposedly, if you look at a quality map of this part of the Vale, the line of peaks forms a hook that bends off to the east and makes its own little concealed valley within a valley. Impressive, Julian replied. Past the hook, the land slowly flattened again until, by the time they reached the southeast corner of the lake, the hills were mostly gone. There, they began to see the first farmsteads. A single farmhouse here, a small cluster there, at first there were few and far between. But as the afternoon wore on, they became more frequent, all as he would have expected. Then, about an hour and a half before sunset, not far from a ford across the river that flowed down to the lake from the mountains to the east, they encountered a farm that had been burned out. It had happened several days earlier based on the lack of smoldering and the general state of the place, but it was clear that the burning was not an accident. The front door was cloven in two as though by an axe or sword. Peeking inside, the remains of a large table had distinctive cut marks, as did one chair that somehow escaped the fire and stood pristinely in the midst of the destruction. But the confirmation came when they stopped, at Radric's urging, to investigate the ruins more closely. There, within the husk of the burned house, lay two charred bodies, one larger and one small. The larger body, the mother, Julian presumed, was clutching the smaller body as though to shield it from the flames and smoke. He supposed the fact that two people perished didn't rule out an accident, 
until they then found a man's corpse, beheaded with his hands tied behind his back in a small ditch not far behind the house. Hopefully they killed him first, Radric said, his tone carrying the same revulsion that Julian felt. Can you imagine if they'd made him listen to his wife and child screaming inside the house before finishing him? Who would do this? Julian asked aloud. He looked back at their prisoner and found him close-mouthed, unwilling to look even in the same general area as the bodies. Do you know, friend? Julian asked, tugging at the rope as he did so. The brigand jerked and turned a baleful eye on him. Not a clue, he replied in an oily tone that just screamed the man was lying. Oh, you know all right, Julian said. Friends of yours, weren't they? Did they brag about it? Anger began to well up within him, and he found his voice rising. Or did you go along for the ride, to have a little fun? Did you enjoy it, you sick bastard? He began walking his horse back toward the brigand as he spoke. The brigand's expression grew frightened, then terrified, as Julian approached. Enough, Julian. He'll get justice from the constable, Radric growled as he spurred his horse in front of Julian. Remember? Julian took a long, deep breath to get himself back under control. After a moment, he nodded to Radric and turned his horse away. Then let's get moving. The sooner we dump this fellow off, the better. Chapter 4 Lydleton As they rode into Lydleton, Julian was surprised to find the road paved. He had expected dirt streets, or at best cobblestones, but the main street into the town was paved with what looked like squares of flagstone. How did this happen? he asked Radric. The other man shrugged. There's a rock quarry a little ways up in the mountains east of here. Back before I first came here, some folks got the idea to use some of that rock to pave the streets. They only got the main street done before deciding it was too much effort, or something. Julian chuckled. But his humor faded quickly as he looked from the paving stones to the people in the town. A dozen, maybe twenty townsfolk were walking the main street as their horses began clopping down the road. One and all turned toward the sound of horses' hooves with expressions of dread. A woman nearby clutched her small child and pulled him close, as though unwilling to let him come near them. The weight of all those fearful eyes was nerve-wracking. What gives? I thought you said these people were friendly. Radric shook his head slowly. I've no idea. Turning his gaze toward a young man, barely old enough to need a shave more than every other day, who had stopped in the street not far from them, he nodded in greeting and smiled. Hello there. Uh, can you point us toward the constable's office? The young man blinked and for a moment looked as though he was going to bolt. But then he looked from Radric's smile to the brigand trailing behind them and the rope tied around his neck, and he swallowed, then answered. Three blocks down, then make a right. First building on the left. He paused for a moment, as though unsure of himself, then spoke again. You're not with him, are you? Gesturing toward the bound brigand, his voice sounding almost hopeful. Julian snorted. Him? Radric replied. He and a few others tried to rob us on the road here. We're taking him to the constable for justice. His friends weren't so lucky. The young man's eyes widened and a large grin spread across his face. Looking around, Julian could see the tension leave the other people on the street in a flood. As they spurred their horses forward and moved on down the street, the eyes continued to follow them, but the murmur of hushed discussion sprang up among the townsfolk as well. Julian caught the word heroes a few times. What was that all about? They found the constable's office right where the young man said it was just off the main street, on a side street that was paved, if that was the right word for it, with assorted rocks and gravel. It was a small, functional place. Short stairs led to a porch and a wide set of double doors at the front of the building. 
A simple sign, reading Constable, hung over the door. Looks like this is it, Radric quipped as he dismounted and tied his horse off on a hitching post in front of the building. You are a master of the obvious, Julian replied with a grin. He made quick work tying his horse off. Then he grabbed his baldric from around his saddle horn and, donning it, walked over to the brigand. Time to face the music, friend, he said as he untied the knot around the brigand's neck. The rope dropped to the ground, and for a second Julian thought the brigand was going to try and make a run for it, no matter how exhausted and beaten down he was. But with his hands bound and the pair of them ready to chase him down, he wouldn't get far. Apparently he knew it, because his shoulders, already slumped from fatigue, drooped further and his gaze lowered to the ground, defeated. Julian grabbed him by the arm and pulled him toward the building. Let's go! Radric led the way, swinging the doors open to allow Julian and the brigand to follow easily. Inside was a simple office, two desks, one on either side of the room facing each other, and a pair of benches on either side of the entrance were the only furnishings. Mounted on the wall behind one of the desks was a rack holding a small collection of swords. A similar rack holding several unstrung bows and an equal number of full quivers hung behind the other. A pair of lamps on wall mounts burned merrily, adding light to the room. A door made of iron bars was set in the wall directly across from the entrance. Julian could see a number of other similar barred doors in the corridor beyond. Holding cells, no doubt. A slender man of medium height, with a narrow face and unruly hair the color of hay, sat behind the desk on the left, reviewing a leather-bound ledger. He looked up at once, his eyes widening in surprise as they walked in. He collected himself quickly, closing the ledger and standing up to greet them. Gentlemen, what can I do for you? You the constable? Radric asked. The man shook his head. I'm Deputy Fendig. Constable Mallory is off dealing with an issue right now. Good enough. This man... Julian pushed the brigand forward as Radric gestured toward him. And several others tried to rob us on the road earlier today. We've brought him here for justice. Fendig did a double take and looked the brigand up and down. Is that right? He said quietly. There was a long silence as Julian and Radric looked at each other. Something very odd is going on, Julian thought. That's right. Radric said slowly as he looked back at Fendig. About an hour after noon on the road just above Silver Falls, he and five other... Five? Yeah, five, Julian replied. Fendig looked doubtful, but he nodded. All right. Moving back over to his desk, he pulled open one of the drawers and removed a large iron ring hung with a number of keys. As he stepped past them and unlocked the door to the cell block, he said, Bring him along. They followed Fendig into the cell block. Once inside, Julian saw it contained eight cells, four on each side of the corridor. They were all unoccupied. Each cell had a pair of cots and a bucket, no doubt to use as a chamber pot. Narrow windows, too small for a man to squeeze through, let in light. It would be paltry even at noon, but now with dusk coming on, the light was virtually non-existent. Only a pair of lamps mounted at either end of the corridor provided illumination. Fendig led them to the last cell on the right and opened the door. It squeaked on its hinges, making Julian wonder how long ago it had been used last. In here, Fendig said, gesturing towards the cell. Radric, who was bringing up the rear, stepped forward and pulled out his knife. A quick cut removed the rope that bound the brigand's hands. Then Julian shoved him forward. He stumbled into the cell and fell over onto a cot. For a moment, he just lay there. Then he turned over and sat up. Rubbing at his wrists to help restore circulation, the man looked up at Fendig. If I were you, I'd think hard about letting me go, deputy, he said. I'm with Fossil. Fendig went pale, and he swallowed audibly. 
but his voice was steady when he spoke. That'll be up to the constable, he said, and he shut the door and locked it. The brigand chuckled softly, a laugh of sadistic amusement. As Fendig walked back to the front office, Julian lingered for a moment to study the prisoner. He did not look half as defeated as he had outside when he was in Julian and Radric's custody. Back in the front office, Fendig pulled out another ledger and dipped his quill into an inkwell on his desk. I'll need your names and where you're staying in town. The who or what is Farzel? Julian asked. Fendig paused, his quill poised over the paper. Then he sighed and looked up at the two of them. A band of outlaws has been making trouble in these parts for the last month or so. From their look, they're mostly deserters from the army. Small wonder they turn to thieving, right? Men like that will do anything. Farzel's their leader. You're afraid of them, Radric said, his tone flat with disapproval. Of course not. He's all bluster, that's all. Even if his body language and expression hadn't screamed that he was lying, the speed of Fendig's reply made it plain as day. Now then, as I said, I'll need your names and where you're staying in town. Constable Mallory will want to talk to you about this incident. Does Molly Millen still run the Orlock down by the docks? Asked Radric. Fendig looked surprised again, but he nodded. Yes, has been for years. We'll be staying there, then. Radric and Julian gave their names, and Fendig thanked them and showed them out with promises that the constable would contact them first thing in the morning to take their statements. As the office doors swung shut behind them, Julian shook his head. Three to one that guy releases our boy before dawn. I'm amazed he even locked him up. Probably wouldn't have if we weren't there. I don't know, replied Radric. He looked as troubled as Julian felt. Nothing we can do about it, though. Let's go get settled and warm up. It was hard to argue with that idea. Okay, so clearly all is not well in Glimmervale or in the town of Lyttelton. Um, burned out farms, atrocities, and a deputy oh, seems very eager to enforce justice, doesn't he? Huh. Well, I guess we'll see what comes of that on the next episode of Storytime when we get into chapters 5 and 6. Of course, you can always just go and pick up a copy of the audiobook. It is now available everywhere, uh, literally everywhere. You can get it on Audible and iTunes and Amazon, and you can get it at Kobo and Google Play, audiobooks.com, and literally a dozen other places that my various distributors distribute to. Uh, best place, of course, to get it if you want to just listen to it and not worry about waiting for me to get through it all is through my... Website, ssnstorytelling.com. You can buy it there using PayPal, Stripe, or cryptocurrency. And I'll get you, send you a download link where you can download the entire book in a single file and then put it on whatever device you want. Easy. And that way I get the 90 to 95% of the money. Every other place I get at most maybe a third. You can also buy the book. It's in print and ebook and all the usual ebook and print retailers and of course through my site as well um meanwhile uh i'll be back next week with the next couple chapters please if you like this uh spread the word to all your your pals uh leave uh leave good reviews uh the various podcast and video sites subscribe and come back next week we'll talk some more all right thanks and uh don't do anything i wouldn't do Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. 
You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Finally, if you really like what I'm doing and want to support on a more regular basis, you can come to my Patreon and become a patron. Just a couple bucks a month will help out a lot. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zoggy, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>